Well, good morning. It's really good to have you with us. Um, we're going to begin a new series this morning called Search and Rescue. And we're going to be looking at the book of First Peter. So I'm going to invite you right now to open up your Bible and look for the book of First Peter. It's at the end of the New Testament. Hopefully you'll bring your Bibles through this because we're going to kind of put down the anchor in a book for a while. And uh, I want you to see it there for you in, in uh, words you can understand and to underline them if you want and to grow as we go through the Bible together. Um, as we do this as a, as a community, as a church, I want to let you know that uh, we're, we're preparing as a church to be a part of God's search and rescue plan. As, we, as I was um, preparing for this service, I, um, I did a lot of reading, not just of the scriptures, but also of some commentaries, but also into some secular stuff of what's involved in search and rescue and different missions that uh, people have been involved with. I uh, read a book on rescues above, uh, you know, 14,000 feet and the 14ers out in, Cal- out in Colorado where um, different people would go out hiking or try to uh, climb a 14er like in January or February or March and then they got stranded and uh, had to spend the night or two without a tent on these mountains and uh, what was involved in going and rescue them, res- res- rescuing them and going out in those environments and, you know, putting your life on the line to go and save some- someone. Some of them they saved. Others of them they found in June. <laughs> they just kind of froze. And uh, people couldn't get at them. Then there was uh, a, uh, a book I'm reading right now in the U.S. Coast Guard. Coast Guard has saved over uh, um, a million people who were in dire situations. And um, we have a few of you who work here in town with the Coast Guard and just uh, listening to different stories like one in uh, Hurricane Katrina that um, they actually went out in the hurricane. I mean, 100, 100 plus mile an hour winds with a helicopter saving someone who cried May Day, putting their lives on the line to res- rescue people. And I think about uh, just... Just being ready as believers to put our lives on the line. That was the New Testament church, folks. The New Testament church lived in an environment of persecution just for their beliefs. We don't live in an environment right now of a whole lot of physical persecution, but they dealt with that. They put their lives on the line. And First Peter was written to help them stand firm in the midst of suffering and persecution, but also not to just stand firm and be defensive, but go offensive and spread the gospel through pain and suffering, hanging on and hanging on to God's hand and looking for people that they could search and rescue with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what I want to do this morning is I just want to read the first five verses and then we'll go through this whole picture of search and rescue because what Peter is doing in this passage right now is he's going to call all believers in Christ to put their lines, life on the line for the gospel. He's going to call each of us through this passage and recommission us in life. This is a recommissioning commissioning ceremony. Some of you are graduating this afternoon. Congratulations. Yes. Amen. And you are kind of, that's kind of the farewell and you made it. Congratulations. This is a recommissioning thing. This, this is a ceremony that we want to look into the scriptures right now. And we want to see who does God call us and what does he call us into? Because we want to be a church that is advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ in this community. 
You know, uh, one of the things that I, as we uh, go into this, into the fall and as we go through this in the summer, we're going to be having these vision gatherings that I really want you to come to. You can sign up for them and in the uh, information center in the lobby. And really what we want to do is not only just share that mission of our church, but we want to call you to make a choice with that vision and to commit to that. And we want everybody who's here on Sunday to get to one of those things. We want to break and get into smaller groups so we can talk about it and share that with you. And the only way we can do that is if you can come to one of these. There's 16 of them coming out uh, next week and then into early June. And certainly you can all make one of them. If you're in a small group, your small group's going to do that together. If you're not in a small group... You know, sign up for that in the information area just so that we can plan on you. There are going to be great times of just sharing that, hearing what God is doing in our church, and then seeking if you have any questions or, and, and give you some answers so that you can, you can be involved. I know some of you have just been here, you've been watching, but well, we want to call you into the ministry of this church. And, and I hope that you'll come. Uh, it's no obligation, but we want you to come to one of those meetings. Make sure you sign up for that. All right, let me read First Peter 1, verses 1 through 5. It says this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galeas, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That's where we're going this week. And we're going to look at the three major realities of, of the Christian life that we all, in order to be part of God's search and rescue plan, we all need to understand and we all need to embrace. We do not want to be a church, trust me, that is more concerned about what just happens in here for us than we are about a church of what happens in the word through my life and out in the community. We want to be a church that grabs onto the hand of God and he will run with us. We don't want to be a church that trips up each other. Each other. We want to look at where he's going and we want to follow him and we want to put our lives on the line for it. Trust me, that's what we want. And that's the type of church we want to be. And this passage calls us, it kind of recommissions us in life as a follower of Christ. And it it gives us three words there. Look at that in verse 1. It says that we are to God's elect, strangers in the world, and scattered. Those three identifiers are things that we're going to look at. Those three words. We've been selected, we're strangers, and we're scattered. That's what I want to talk about for the rest of the time. Because I think if we can brace these three pictures of who we are, God will do incredible things with us and through us. Uh, on the other hand, if we don't, and uh, we just keep it, we keep it um, all about us, we will really limit what God will do in this city and in the state and in our world. 
Because when you trust and follow Christ, you're recommissioned in life. And you're recommissioned from the mirage of temporal things and self-guided directions to the realities of eternal things with God-directed paths. And, and what, what we're going to be looking at is we're going to be coming into contact with Peter here. And Peter was a life who was transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was transformed. He saw the living, resurrected Christ, and he was never the same. He went from a guy who was a fisherman. I mean, if you've ever watched Deadliest Catch, that was Peter, okay? And you get, you don't really think, boy, those guys are spiritual guys. I, I don't really go Deadliest Catch when I think of godly men. But Peter was one of those who, when Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men, he followed him. And he stumbled and he struggles with what I struggle, struggle with, you know, open mouth, insert foot syndrome. But this guy continued to follow Christ. And his weaknesses became areas where God became stronger in. At the crucifixion of Jesus, he was running and he denied Christ. At the resurrection, he is standing for and put his life on the line. It, tradition has it that Peter was actually, he died for his faith. And he died in such a way that the, the people who persecuted him wanted to, to crucify him like Jesus. In a mockery, just do this. And he specifically requested that he be crucified upside down because he did not want to present any other picture. He didn't think he was worthy enough to die the way Jesus did. And so he did. He put his life on the line. And the church was never the same. In human history, the, the, at, at his death, the story is over. In biblical history, the story is just beginning. And the gospel multiplies. It doesn't, it doesn't crash. It multiplies because someone put their life on the line for this thing called the gospel of Jesus Christ. What was it, what is it about the gospel that makes people give their lives for it? We're going to find that out as we join into who we are and what we have in a God, in a relationship with our God through Christ. So it says, number one here, that we have been elected. We've been, we are elected. And this is always a, 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 an issue that we have been selected for an opportunity with God. To know him, to understand him, and to join him in his work. The reality is, is that God is working a plan. He is. Nothing takes God by surprise. And look with me in verse two. It says that we've been chosen According to, and this is really where Peter brings up the Trinity. And, and you know what? Although the word Trinity is not in the Bible, this is a, this is a, a great statement that there is a Father, a Son, and a Spirit who are all God. And it says this, you've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling by His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Here it is. We've been selected for an opportunity. This whole picture of election. I know if you've been born and raised in theological circles, you have a struggle with. And I think we all do because the reality is, is the gospel, although it's something that's very clear in the scriptures, there's also a mysterious angle to the gospel of the, of the role that God has in it and how he works that in some way we would trust him thinking that it was all up to us, but knowing through scripture that it was all up to him. And that's a huge thing. 
And I try to just try to simplify it, even though it is, a, it is a, a big thing to get your mind around, that God is working a plan, that he has been working since before the creation of the world, and that he knew about us, and that even right here in 2010, in May, that you have all been selected this morning by God to hear the gospel. That God has brought you to this place where you could ex- be exposed to the truth of the gospel and that you would have, um, you would, you would actually be given the decision to trust in Him today. And God selected you for that. He knows us by name as believers. He knew me before the creation of the world. That's huge. That's a huge thing for me to get my mind around. When I think about salvation and my role in it, it's tempting for me to say, I chose God. But the Bible tells me that God chose me. You know, I think about this. um, I've shared this before, and it really embarrassed my son in the first service. But when James was about 18 months old, uh, I really wanted to play catch with him. And his capabilities, I'm sorry, if you've got an 18-month-old, their tie, their tension span, their coordination, folks, that doesn't happen. And so we found the largest ball we possibly could and, and Cheryl stood with the ball and I stood like this with James and I would hold his hands and the big beach ball would go whoop, 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 up, up in the air and I would take his hands and I would catch it for him. And you know what we'd say? We'd say, you caught the ball. And his little 18 month old would go, you know, whatever, he couldn't speak at that point. And it was really cool. I mean, the kids' light eyes would just light up. And we would go, you caught the ball. Now, who caught the ball? I caught the ball. I was working behind him. And because I'm his dad and I love to invite him into environments. But the intelligence and the capabilities of, of him catching that ball just weren't there. I'm sorry. Unless you have a genius. And I know some of your dads are going, my kid could. You know, you could do that. Sorry, mine wasn't there. Mine was normal. <laughs> and, but he would catch the ball. And we invited him to be along in this thing. But all the intelligence, all the capabilities came from me, his dad. Your heavenly father works pretty much the same. He works out salvation in you. He brings you to a place where you can hear it. And he, he opens up your heart. And he works in your life so that the gospel is something you go... I caught the ball, but really he caught it for you and he worked that out. It's all of God and you will see that for eternity. You will see that it was all from him and you will praise him and you will glorify him for that in eternity. It's arrogant. It's prideful to think that everything that happens in your spiritual life is up to you. You don't need the cross for that. It's self-sufficient when you think that you're capable of doing that. Romans 11 says that who has known the mind of God? Who's his counselor? Kind of like a sarcastic rhetorical question. Who's his counselor? No one is. He's eternal. He's almighty. He's all-knowing. And and that's something that we're going to struggle with. But it also means that God is working out a plan. And it's a plan that has chosen us. And that, that um, it, it means that he's in control. He's all-knowing. And this has been his plan from the ages. God is not surprised. And this should build assurance, confidence, but also humility in us. You see, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 12, it says this. In him, speaking to Christians, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him, 
who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might, might be for the praise of his glory. In other words, God just invites us to be part of his hope and part of this plan and that we might be, we might respond and praise him. That's exactly what Peter does as he explains this. Because look at verse three. He says, praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how these open. This is his first priority. When he looks at what God has done in choosing us, he goes, thank you. Praise be to God, our father. And the, res- the response that he calls us into as a result of being elected is praise. And our response needs to praise the Lord. He has a plan. It's not left up to chance. It's not left up to a randomness. God is working his plan. And you know what? I look at that. It, we have a choice to either worship him or to worry over the things of life. To fear what's going on in our lives or to trust him in faith. You know what? It's this whole angle of predestination and election is really, um, it's not, we've got to be careful we don't go as systematic as some people can go on this. But rather we're grounded biblically. And there's some things we can explain about this, but there's other things we don't know why God does it the way he does it. We need to trust in him. You guys don't have a problem trusting people who you deem are trustable. You don't. I mean, how many of you have flown into Kansas City recently? How many of you have done that ever? (laughs) Okay. So thank you. Good. We do ride on planes. (laughs) Um, But you ever remember you're sitting down, you put on the seatbelt and you hear, ladies and gentlemen, this is Captain speaking. We're about to fly up uh, to about 35,000 feet where the air is nice and clear. It looks like it's a beautiful day in Kansas City and you hear this melodic voice and you just go, wow, I trust the guy. He sounds intelligent. He sounds like he does this. Could you imagine if you had someone goes, we go up in plane and fly. <laughs> How'd you like that one to come on the internet or not on the internet, over the intercom? You would go, I'm off this plane, Right? <laughs> You trust someone that has a plan, that has the experience on that, don't you? What God is telling us through predestination is that he's intelligent, he's wiser than it all, and you can trust that his plan is working out. He's not taking it up for a joyride. He's got a plan, he's got a destination, we can relax, just like you relax and put on the seatbelt and you go up and you trust someone to impale you through the air at 600 miles per hour over, you know, where if just one window opened, everyone would go, okay? I mean, we trust people that, that, who are wise, intelligent in our lives and who have experience with it. And through that, we can trust God, that God is working out his plan. We need to trust it and we need to worship him as a result of that. So our first reality is that we've been selected for an opportunity to know and experience God through Christ who sprinkled us with his blood. He made us clean. All of what is done for us is is done by Christ. We can't. Some of you have come here and you've come from a background that believes you can work your way into heaven. Or if you just do these things or be more religious, that God would look on you and say, okay, you're saved. Everything we are is through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not in works. It's not in religious rituals. It's only by grace through faith that we have salvation. And this is what people were putting their lives on the line for. 
Because this is going to, this is trusting someone who's greater than us with a greater plan than we have is going to get in the grills of a lot of people and upset them. And people didn't like this gospel, this good news. But we have to realize, and that's our life, of a life of worship, of putting our lives in worship to the Lord. And worship is singing, worship is thinking, worship is speaking, worship is serving, worship is all of life is worship in response to who God is and what he's done in our lives. The second reality that we get here is in that first verse, and that we are strangers in the world. And this is the reality, is that I'm a stranger with an identity in this world. Look at this. It says that uh, we, we are a stranger with a new birth, a living hope, and into an inheritance. Now look at this. It says, in his great mercy, it's all because of God's grace, he has given us, in other words, it's all something God has given us, nothing we have attained for ourselves, new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the death, dead and into an inheritance that, listen to this, can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Folks, through faith in Christ, you are now a citizen in heaven. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your future is for an inheritance inheritance which would never be able to be destroyed, polluted, or subject to decay. It is eternal, and it's based on the promise of God who does not lie, purchased and provides and keeps for you. This is all about what God is doing in your life. And it's a picture that right now, this is not your home. You've got to get used to that. If you're going to embrace search and rescue, you've got to say, I'm going to move out of the safety of my home because something is more important. The salvation of people, the rescue of people is more important to me than comfort in my home. And you know, the reality as we look at this is that this is a home. Our ultimate home, folks, is going to be a place we spend infinitely more time than we have here on earth. In a hundred years from now, when we are just at the beginning, at the, walking through the door of eternity with Christ in heaven, Folks, we are not going to look back. We're going to look at our lives and go, what was that? What was, that was just a, we're going to see, like scripture says, it's a mist that appears for a while and then kind of dissipates. We're going to realize how little and short of life it is. And you know what? Some of you uh, are realizing that right now, the death of a loved one, how short of time you might have had with them. The reality is that our, our, the spiritual reality that we need to constantly be reminded of is this is not what we're living for. We don't put the tent pegs down deep here. We don't try to accumulate and amass wealth and prestige and position fall for ourselves, for the glory of ourselves in order that God is neglected and, and disassociated from. And, and the reality is, is, is we, we are kind of single driven people. It's, it's either Christ or it's the world. It's either following it or it's faltering around him. And, and so this calls us into embracing that angle of being a stranger. You know, I think about um, even how Peter develops this later on in First Peter. In, in chapter 2, verse 11, if you want to just flip over with me there, it says, verse 11 of chapter 2, he says, Dear friends, 
Dear friends, I urge you as, here's this phrase again, aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Isn't that something? Sinful desires sometimes just seem fun at the time. They seem like the band-aid that's going to get us through the day. And the reality, it's a war against your soul. And we're called to stand up against that. We're called, as a matter of fact, as part of our recommissioning into a new life and a living hope. We're called to re-engage our world. You see, whereas the first reality informs us that we've been selected to receive Christ, this second reality really calls us to engage our world as a future citizen of heaven. This is where our true citizenship lies. Folks, we are here with a passport. We're just traveling. This is not where we're called to put them, put the tent pegs in steep. And so you don't look at things the same anymore when your eyes have been trained to always be ready, always be prepared for this return of Christ. Yeah, I think about these living water trips that we take. Those are pretty awesome. You think about what we do. We're pretty wealthy here. Some of us go, well, I'm not that wealthy. Well, you go to Honduras and you go to Guatemala or El Salvador and you will see true poverty. You will see people living on one or two dollars a day eating rice and beans is their major component of a diet. And you will go down there. And the thing about it that's kind of interesting is we go down there for a week and we go, oh, I can't believe it. They smiled on their face and they changed us. These people changed us. And we share the gospel with them. And we come back and we walk through Dillon's or hy or whatever grocery market you go through, Aldi's. And you, Walmart, hey, I'll just stop. And then but you look around and you see all the stuff we have and how many choices we have. And it kind of overwhelms you. And we'll go and live there a week if it's only a week. Because... Because don't sign me up for the life like this. Don't sell my house and all my possessions and put me in an environment where I actually have to live on $2 a day. We'll go down there and we'll put up our big house and we'll go and talk to those people. But to actually go and live there. Yet the people who actually go and live there are the people who where, where great transformation happens in those environments. Why? Because they realize... It's not ultimately their home. We're just, you know, that, that, that great gospel thing. You know, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. It becomes reality. Where we don't grab onto things, try to hang onto things and be defined by things. We look for what lasts forever and we pour our lives into that so that we're a stranger. That's our identity. We're stranger here. Now, I realize people look at Christians as strange. I gotta realize that's that's not what we're at. We're after being strangers. We're, we're called to live differently. So so that we view life much in the way we do a mission trip. Where we have the resources to be involved in God's search and rescue plan. We realize that the things that truly last forever are God, His Word, and people, and we will leverage everything to advance that. Everything. My reputation, my identity, this world to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. So these two realities of, of being selected and then being a stranger, I'll take kind of their meaning in this last one. Scattered. It says that they're scattered throughout Pont- Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Folks, we've been scattered with a strategy. 
You've been selected by God. You're a stranger with an identity. But this third reality is that you've been scattered with a strategy. You know, if you look into the word scattered throughout the Bible, you see that scattered isn't just a New Testament word. It's an Old Testament word. That God, when he talks to his people, say, if you trust me, I will gather you from the farthest region where of civilization, I will gather you and you will be mine. But if you walk away from me, I will scatter you to the nations. That's what he did in 722 BC uh, with, with uh, Israel and, and the Assyrian empires. They came in. They scattered them all over the world. This is kind of one of those dispersed. He dispersed them all over. But you know, in the New Testament, it's interesting how God scatters. His strategy in the New Testament is where he scatters them to represent him. Scattering is almost a blessing in the New Testament when God scatters you. A case in point, um, Acts chapter 8. Stephen is martyred. And a great persecution works out as one of the great leaders of the church is dies for the sake of the gospel. And he's stoned to death. And the church literally scatters. They run for their lives. So for their very lives. In Acts 8, 4, it says this. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And this, this whole angle just amplifies what Jesus would call his disciples to do in Acts 1-8. He said, you will be my, my uh, witnesses in Jerusalem. But then he said, Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the world. In this passage, it, it literally takes them out of Jerusalem and moves them into Judea and Samaria. Judea and Samaria heard about the gospel because of persecution. In a worldly perspective, we go, oh, look at the church. It's not going to last. Okay? And we'll build a precious moment figure even to do that kind of thing. But in God's perspective, it was. I'm really sorry I offended those precious moment owners. But, but in God's perspective, it's the whole angle of just forcing the gospel out. And it's a blessing that he would not be limited by persecution. And people who are persecuted spread it. That's why when you go into environments of persecution from a godly perspective, what is the gospel doing? Multiplying, multiplying, multiplying. When you go into environments of comfort and a physical blessing, what do you got the gospel? Retracting, retracting, and retracting. Selfishness, possessions, materialism. And so to be scattered is a blessing by God. And he, he was calling them. I mean, look at, this is where they were. This is, the Bible is written in, uh, in real, with real people, with real places. This is not mythology here. And if you take a look at a satellite picture of, of um, the world at that time and kind of now, um, it's current day Turkey. And um, there were five regions of, of, of the Roman Empire in this region. And it was... Pontus, Cappadocia, I mean Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. That was the scattering of believers that Peter was right. Real places. And they were persecuted for their faith in Christ. And they looked at it as they were scattered, but they were scattered for a strategy. And I just want to, again, encourage you with this. Because listen to this in verse 5 of 1 Peter 1. He says, who through faith are being shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, we're scattered, but we're not forgotten. We're scattered, but yet we're shielded and protected by God for an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. 
And his salvation is ready. It can be received. And his coming is ready. We, there is nothing standing in the way of God except his patience that is keeping him from returning. Now look at this, folks. Therefore, we're called to live eternally. We're, we're called to live eternally as we look forward to his return, shielded by faith, searching, rescuing people who are lost in sin. This is a key angle. You know, so many of us look at our lives as what we don't have, where we should be, but where we are not. And we never embrace where God has us right now. We always go, when this happens, then I'll serve him. When this happens, then we'll really live. When we get kids, when they get out of the house, when we're retired, we just go right down through that next thing of if only and when that happens, then I'll do this. And the reality is, is it's a great tool of Satan to distract us from this commissioning that, that Peter is calling us into. It's the commissioning that we've been scattered, that we've been placed some of you uh, do not like Topeka, Kansas. And I've lived other places. And some other places were nice geographically or in other words. But every place has its problem. Every place. You move to that dream world and it will happen to you. You will find, wow, these people aren't as nice as people back in Topeka. Or, wow, this I didn't realize you had, you know, three months of scorching heat here. Because I didn't like January in Topeka. You know, we can all do that and we can just be ticked that we're in a place where we're in a position. Some of you are going through suffering right now. Some of you have lost a relationship that you've been depending on. And you're going, boy, when I get that, if I only had that relationship, everything would be so much nicer and better. Folks, you've been scattered because you have a God working a strategy in your life. And he's going to draw you closer to him. He wants to grow your faith through a time like this. And you have to embrace that scattering. That he scattered you for a purpose. And it's not for tomorrow, but it's for today. Embrace today. Live today with an eternal perspective. That this isn't all it's about. It's a whole lot more than my plan. God's plan is so much better. It's a whole lot more than the name of Joe Hishma or the wealth or the possessions or the position of Joe Hishma. It's about the name of Jesus Christ being moved through my life. That's what all of our lives are going to be appraised against, is the measure of Christ. God's going to look at you. America, you know, U.S. President, what is that? Business CEO, so? What did you do with Christ? Academian, you know, PhD, so? What did you do with Christ? We can look at all those things, and it doesn't matter. To God. He scattered you for a purpose. Embrace those environments. Whatever environment he's given you. From a great perspective to a negative perspective in our world. Embrace that and live for him. Because the reality is on all these. If we did. If we were truly recommissioned. Where we understood that we've been elected by God. It's his work and his plan being worked out in our lives. Where we realize that we're a stranger in this world. It's not to be clasped and grabbed. It's a temporal place that I'm with a secure, eternal place in heaven. And if I realize that I'm scattered here with a strategy. Folks, Topeka 
Kansas, United States, and the world would never be the same. Never be the same. There would be such a revival in this city that this city would look and be defined in the future by, do you remember when? Remember when we started, remember when people started trusting God? If I truly saw myself as selected by God, I would trust in God's plan and I would worship him over worry, faith over fear. If I saw that I am a stranger, I would re-engage my world, not anymore as a passive participant, but an agent of change, much like I do a mission trip, where I would love and sacrifice, provide hope, give help, not to rule over people, but to serve people, where I don't attach myself to this world, but see it as temporary. Man, folks, we are so distracted as Christians. And dare I say, this church is so distracted in our private lives, in our private areas that we love to do, whether it's pleasure, whether it's the next exercising gig, whether it's the next possession or gadget, and I'm talking to myself, that we ignore our citizenship in heaven. And we all need to repent to that. And we all need to follow God because he's got a much better plan. Because if I'm honest and I look at my life and I've looked at yours, it's not working out for us. When we put those tent pegs down deep here on earth and we claw to stay healthy or to stay fit or to, to get the next thing or to have the next financial secure measure in our lives, it's not working out for us. We need something greater and only Jesus satisfies the soul. Come back to him. Embrace your role as a stranger. And then thank him for scattering you here. And walk with him. And follow him and stand firm. Hold on to him. And embrace that and live eternally. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we um, thank you for your word and we thank you how it has recommissioned us today. And um, I just lift up this whole congregation around this room right now as they're praying to you. You know their hearts. You know what this word and your Holy Spirit is doing through the word this morning in their lives. You know the areas that I've touched on. And you want to call them to be your people. The elect of God, strangers in the world, scattered throughout this world. Holy Spirit, move each of us to grab onto what you're calling us this morning and to to trust you over the fear of what what it would look like to truly follow you. To be courageous enough to turn away from those things that have been drugs to us. That have um, lured us away from a walk with you. That we pop into our lives and we think they offer us greater things. And they give us a, a cheap thrill, but they are not satisfying. They don't last. Call us to that living, a new life with a living hope into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And Lord, we want to take your gospel right now. We want to put our lives on the line that you may become greater and we would become less. For it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.